0: thank you guys for being here those of you that are watching us online thanks for dialing in today I don't know what the weather is like where you're at but uh uh, we are glad that you're here today and watching us and pray that you and your family will enjoy this moment together shoot us a note let us know where you're watching this morning how many people are gathered around your computer your tablet your handheld or whatever if you're in the middle of a, a crowded restaurant eating breakfast I just want you to stand up right now and say that's right That's right. It's happening there in Bernie, Texas right now. But thank you guys for dialing in and watching us today. We're going to continue in this series, you ask for it. We are uncovering some of the biggest questions that I believe our culture is asking us today. Last week, we started with what I believe is the number one question is, is who is God? And maybe you weren't able to join us last week. And so we want to encourage you to go back and look online and and watch it because the question is, who is God is huge. It's huge. And so Um, I hope that you will be able to spend some time with that and and come to an understanding as to to who God is. We looked at the Bible, right? I didn't preach last week. I simply read Scripture to see what the Bible says about who God is. Amen? We as men sometimes have a way of of jacking the view of God up. We kind of throw in our own kind of little likes and dislikes or our thoughts. And and I just simply said, I think scripture is pretty clear as to who God is. And so we want to encourage you to find it. But we're going to continue in this series today. Every two seconds, say two, every two seconds. That's how often someone in the U.S. has their identity stolen. How many of you have been the recipient of identity theft? Hands all across the room, those of you watching online. Yeah, every two seconds, that's how often someone in the US has their identity. Stolen. I'll never forget, uh, we were year number one in the, in the history of our church. There were three of us staff members. We, we really didn't have a clue what we were doing. But, but I'll never forget something that happened during that first year. We, we, we had one of our staff members that had, had, was having a meeting with someone at a local restaurant. And, 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 and about three or four hours later that day, we began to, to get some, some fraud alerts pop up. And phone calls from the banks, that, 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 that person's identity, their credit card number had been stolen. We, we found these massive charges start rolling up and mounting on our credit card bill. Charges in San Antonio. Evidently, the person who took that credit card number went to Jared. Yeah. Because there was a, a, a big purchase there. And our business administrator, Pastor Jason, did you just buy something on the church credit card for Angie for Valentine's Day? I said, no, but that's not a bad idea. No, I didn't say that. But guys, just want to remind you, men. Valentine's Day is Wednesday. And but these charges kept rolling up. They hit Target, and then they started going up I-35 towards shirts. And and men, things started. We we had had our identity stolen. Now, these days, you don't even have to, to leave home to have your identity stolen, do you? With so many purchases online and, and things, like that. I mean, look, you can be sitting in your home, and, 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 and man, it can hit you. Identity theft is not fun, is it? It's a mess. It's a process of calling and canceling and figuring out and verifying. It is just not fun when somebody steals your identity. You know, I believe that there's a more devastating identity theft taking place in our nation today than the financial kind. There is a more devastating theft that's happening. It's when you begin to feel like your worth as a person has been ripped from you. Anybody ever been there? Many people in our world today are victims of an identity theft. We have forgotten who we are, or, or we've been listening to the chatter of, of people around us, even some people we know, people we work with, maybe even people in our own homes. And they begin to speak things and say things about us, and, and what's happening is we can migrate so far away from who we truly are, and we can buy in and believe that we are something or someone that we really aren't. You remember, that's one of the first things that took place in the garden. You remember the serpent? He said, Hey, you can be like God. You remember that? And, and Eve and, and, and Adam began to think, Well, maybe we can be. Their identity as to who they were began to be pulled and ripped away from them. Many people in our world today struggle. To identify their identities. And so today we thought we would deal with question number two is who am I? The question I want us to look at today is who am I? Have you watched any of the Winter Olympics yet? And didn't you love the opening ceremonies? And, and, and I love the pageantry. We're, we kind of have a secret scorecard as to who has the, the best outfits when they walk in, you know, whose uniforms look the best. I'm especially fond of the lime green that popped on the TV screens this year. That's pretty cool. I, I don't know what's up with the U.S. and those those kind of lumberjack, camel-looking gloves, those mitts with like the moccasin fringe hanging on I mean, there. That was pretty gnarly and different. Hey, how about the dude from Tonga, shirtless, slathered in coconut oil? Now, that's a dude right there. It's like two degrees and And homeboy's walking in, just waving and smiling. You know, inside he's going, this was a bad idea. (laughs) He did it in Brazil in the summertime, but it's different in Korea. Amen? And how about those athletes who walk in and they're the only athlete from their country? No pressure there. The weight of your country rests on your shoulder, figure skater. Man, how can you live up to that? I'll never forget the last winter Olympics and I love the Olympics. I had the opportunity to actually serve in the two thousand two Olympics in in, in, in uh Uh, Utah. I just missed making the team, but I went and volunteered anyway, just to kind of be around the buzz. And and I'll never forget in the daytime, we worked the downhill ski, ski venue at Green Mountain. And at night we got to work fire cauldrons, Pastor Danny, in Park City, Utah. It was absolutely incredible meeting people from all around the world, meeting famous people and things. It was just absolutely cool. But I love the Winter Olympics, I, I, I do. 242 U.S. athletes this year are going to bring home tons of hardware. Who are you rooting for? Okay, yeah, Sean White. I love that. The, uh, yeah, that's Awesome. Uh, last Winter Olympics, something incredible happened to me. One of our staff members sent me a, a, a picture one night, a picture off of their television of of U.S. Olympic skater by the name of Jason Brown. He had won the bronze medal. And, and he said, look, you're on TV. And he captured that moment. Now, that wasn't me really on the TV screen. I mean, you guys can can certainly look at me today and determine that I am no Olympic figure skater. I, I don't even think I look good in a bedazzled onesie, you know, or do I, I don't know. Maybe it's something we could, could test later today. But the, the The deal was that was not who I was, but yet I was being lumped in with this bedazzled onesie wearing, bronze medal wearing skater winning skater by the name of Jason Brown. Have you ever had your identity confused? Have you ever been confused about your identity? Was I there? No, I'm here. Have you ever had your identity ripped off or stolen? You see, the importance of our identity goes far beyond theft or being confused about whether or not we're an Olympic athlete. Our identity is one of the most important things About us. And yet, it is our identity and our struggle to define it and to live true to it that causes so much struggle in so many people's lives today. Anxiety and frustration. The struggle of younger generations in our culture today that, that are trying to claim their identity. That, that That's one of the reasons why they've become culture's punching bag, right? I mean, we're, we're watching younger generations, millennials and others trying to find out who they are via nonstop social media posts. Now, for those of you who are are older, do you remember how you struggled to figure out who you were? Now, let me just ask you, would, would you want to show each of your stumbles and struggles in HD pixels along the way? <laughs> I'm so thankful we didn't have that when I was, you know. We had a quarter and a payphone, right? But, but now, I mean, it's just that like they're documenting all that stuff. Listen, I, I wouldn't want my life story played out before others, but identity. This thing called identity and who am I, it, 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 it's an issue that plagues every one of us in this room listening today or watching online. I've been in full-time Christian ministry in a local church for 27 years. And as a pastor, I, I, I've, I, I watch men, I've seen them struggle with, with identity whenever they, they fail to perform at work. Maybe when they lose their job or when they're retired, because, you see, in, a, in, a, in, in the world in which we live in, one of the first questions that people oftentimes ask someone is, what's your name? And then the second one right after that is, what do you do, right? And so can you imagine for many men in our culture today whose livelihoods have been built around what they do for, for 40 to 50 years of their lives? Can you imagine losing what they do, how that can shatter their sense of who they are? I watched some women struggle with their identity because they feel inadequate maybe staying home to raise their kids instead of being what culture has said, that strong and independent and career-minded woman. A- and I've also seen women on the opposite end of the spectrum, women with a career that feel like they don't measure up to, to the standard of, of perfect moms whose, whose parties look like a Pinterest post even while they're earning bonuses at work. Who are you? Who am I? What is my real identity? A.W. Tozer was a prolific author and a a pastor in the middle of the 20th century. And he has famous books such as The Pursuit of God and and The Knowledge of the Holy. And and he continues to sell very, very well even today. But A.W. Tozer once said this. He said, the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. The most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. Tozer believed that that our vision and our view of God was was massively important and it significantly impacted um, the future of our lives. In fact, he believed that our theology of God was the foundation of everything else. Now, listen, I'm no Tozer. So I'm not going to argue with with him on this quote, but 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 recently I, I've begun wondering if if that's the most important question. What's the second most important question? If the most important thing about you is is what you think about you when you think about God, then then I believe that maybe the second most important question, in my opinion, is, is what does God think about when God thinks about you? You ever ask yourself that question? What does God think about when he thinks about you? Have you ever considered that question? What comes to mind for God when When you come to his mind, I I think this is an incredibly important question for us to consider today. Now, subconsciously, I believe our answer to this question defines the way that we view ourselves. It defines the way that that we interact with others, and, 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 and it surely shapes and molds the way in which we live on a daily basis. What comes to God's mind when he thinks about you? Last week, one of the most prolific statements I made about who God is was God is love. We know that. We read that in Scripture. God is love, right? But have you ever asked yourself, does God really love me? And Does God really love me? And we may sing the songs about God's love, and we can read, definitely read verses in, in the Bible describing God's kindness, but many of us live... As if God's unconditional love is more of a dream than a reality. Can you relate to that? I mean, so many people's response to to personal failure and and to their their sin reveals that that although they may be able to quote John 3.16 from memory, most of the time they don't view God's primary response to themselves and their sin as one of love. Maybe your functional understanding of God has been far from a father who who loves us unconditionally. And maybe it's closer to a master who who cannot understand why you keep messing up. Maybe you spent the majority of your life trying to to understand how, how God could love you unconditionally. And maybe if you're just honest with yourself today, maybe there's been many days in your life in which you've really hustled, you've worked harder to try to somehow earn God's love and, and you related to him maybe more as a boss than, than as, as a father. You might find yourself regularly today functioning as as if you can simply earn God's love if you just somehow keep everything together for long enough and just don't screw it up. Am I talking to anybody? You ever thought that? Listen, whether that struggle comes from your personality, whether that struggle comes from your childhood or or something else, listen, there may have been even men and women in positions such as mine before that have said messages and sent messages to you that somehow send them the, the idea that it's about you working harder, being better, doing more, so that in turn God will love you. And can I just stop and tell you this? If that's the message you've heard from someone else, they were wrong. Because God's love is not based on what you do or how well you keep your life together. It's not based on whether you show up or give in the my best box. It's not based on how much you can memorize or even if you lifted your hands in the air Today, that's not what God's love for you is based on. Maybe for some of you here today, you have found it a lot easier to to tell other people about God's unconditional love rather than to embrace it yourself, right? Am I talking to anyone? You know, it's really weird. This is that weird thing about God and one of those great mysteries, I think, and one of those things that it's hard for us to wrap our mind around and understand, but it's really foreign to us to believe that our worst moments don't change God's love for us. So many of us suspect that forgiveness and grace is some sort of divine game of of bait and switch. And so we keep waiting for that other shoe to drop, to feel the hammer of that condemnation and judgment. But I've come to believe we will be waiting forever if we hold on to that moment. Several years ago, I read a book by uh, Brennan Manning. Uh, Brennan Manning wrote a book entitled The Ragamuffin Gospel. And in the book, uh, Brennan Manning shares his raw vulnerability about his own sin and, 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 and brokenness. Uh, amidst addictions and, and, and failures, he, he shared how he discovered that God didn't have to love him, but God chose to love him. It wasn't an obligation. It was a joy and a delight that this was a new way of thinking for him. And this might be a new way of thinking for you today. You see, many of us believe that God has to love us, but he doesn't have to really like us, right? <laughs> and so here's what I've done in relation to this who is God movement that now who am I? I, I, I begin looking at scripture to, 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 to explore what God thinks about us. What comes to God's mind when he thinks of us? And I found verse after verse which spoke powerfully about what God thinks about me and what he thinks about you. And I really want to share those with you today. But, But I was reminded even as we were gathered in this room about an hour ago that, you know, we are nothing more than dirt and spit. Did you know that? So who am I? You're nothing but dirt and spit. Seriously, in Genesis, it says that God took some dirt from the ground and and he formed man, correct? He had the shape and the form. But that form was not a being until God did what? (sighs) Breathe life. Have you ever had anybody breathe on you? You get a little bit of them on you when they do that, right? That's why I'm just simply asking you to hold hands. I didn't say, hey. Breathe on somebody today as we pray is a sign of unity. No, because when somebody breathes on you, you get a little bit of them on you, right? Scripture says that God formed us from the dust of the ground, the dirt, and it was lifeless until he breathed life in us. So see, you're nothing more than dirt and spit. You know what else that means to me? We were created as spiritual beings. You see, you were nothing until God did what? Breathed life into you. So listen, just a little sidetrack real quick for someone listening online or in person today. That may be the very reason why today you feel so discouraged and disillusioned with life. It may be the reason why you're lonely and you're dejected, You, 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 you feel hopeless because you know what? You're disconnected from your true being the spiritual side. I'm just saying. You, brought, you were brought to life when God breathed into you. And if God is distant and far from you right now, that may be the very reason why you feel life less. Come on, somebody. Well, I'm gonna give you a short list today of things that I find in Scripture as to what I believe comes to God's mind when he thinks about you and when he thinks about me. For instance, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, we, we learn that we were created in the image of God. It says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Psalm chapter 139, verse 13, says that we were made by God's hand. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Listen, when somebody starts to talk trash about you and say that you're nothing and you'll never amount to anything, say, hey, listen, you must not know the Bible. Because in Psalm chapter 139, it says that I'm wonderfully complex. And maybe you just can't understand me. (laughs) Maybe you're just too much for that person to handle right? I'm wonderfully complex, the psalmist writes. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. You were made by God's hand. The same God that made the sun and the stars and the moon and the dry land from the wetland and the birds. You were made by that creative, wonderful God. Amen. John chapter 1, beginning verse 12, states that we are God's sons and daughters. Listen. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Check this out. Who can become a child of God? Those who do what? believe him and accept him. Listen, I know that there are some sons and daughters of the king in this house today. Come on, where are you? Don't be embarrassed of that. Don't be embarrassed about that. But I also know that there are some of you that are not sons and daughters of the king. You know why? Because you've not believed and accepted him. Now listen, that's not his plan for you to to not. He wants you to be a son and daughter. He's done everything he can to give you the rights to become a child of his. The responsibility now rests on you. What will you do with Jesus? That's it. What will you do with Jesus? Is he the son of God who died on the cross to take away your sins? And without him, you know that your life is hopeless and there is no no future hope for you in eternity. A place called heaven. You know that without Jesus, your life here on earth will be dull, boring, and drab, and you will never be fulfilled. But when Jesus comes in, when you believe him and accept him, he gives you life, and he gives you life that is off the chain. That's what he says. But to all who have believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from who? From God. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 announces that in Christ we are no longer condemned. Hey, hello, son and daughter. Quit walking around under this weight of condemnation. Look what the word says there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Now, that does not give us a blank check to continue to go out and live like the devil. Preacher said there's no condemnation and I can just go screw it up and live like I want to. No, that's not true. You probably ought to read some more of scripture, not just one verse of the Bible, right? You see, I believe that for those who truly belong to Jesus, you want to live a life that brings him honor and glory and puts a smile on his face. You want to. You want to. But there's no condemnation. Romans 8.37 states that we are more than conquerors. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Hey, what else comes to your mind? Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 12. You are referred to as followers of Jesus, as the body of Christ on earth. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that we're made new. There, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Galatians 2.20 indicates that Christ can live in us. He says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. Hey, how much does God love you? He loved you so much that he gave himself for you. Come on. Ephesians 2.4 says that we've been saved by grace. And are now alive in Christ. It says beginning in verse 4, God is so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life and he raised Christ from the dead. And oh, here it is. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. By whose grace? God's grace. And it's not of you Ephesians 2 10 describes us as God's masterpiece did you know that you are God's crowning achievement you see that's why I want you when somebody starts chirping and saying you're not worth anything again saying man you are just illiterate when it comes to 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 scripture and the bible because you know the first five days and things are creative and it was beautiful it's great Day six after God creates man, oh, then he was it was very good, right? Things were just good days one through five and a half, but at the end of day six, when man shows up and life is breathed in, it is very good. You are his crown achievement. Ephesians 2 10 says that we are God's masterpiece. Woo. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. That's what comes to His mind. You're a masterpiece, you're incredible. Colossians 1:13 says that we are forgiven, He's rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, He's transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. And then finally, I mean we could go on, but in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, it states that, that we are unfinished works which God will complete. Look what it says, and I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. Now listen, reading and hearing all those words, that might help you. It just might make the difference. It might help you make the switch from basing your identity on what you think about you to basing it on what God thinks about when God thinks about you. That's the word. That's what he says about you. And it might not be an easy transition for you today because you've been listening to so many falsehoods. Your identity has been stolen and ripped from you. But I believe that if you will begin to see you the way that God sees you, you will find a new sense of freedom in relating to God. You're gonna find a new sense of freedom in how you relate and treat other people as you trust what he says about you. So listen, if Mr. Tozer was right, then we need to determine what we think about when we think about God because our view of God impacts our view of everything else. Listen, I believe what God says about us is the truest thing about us. I do. And I'm going to choose to live according to what he has said about me. I've been told I'm too slow. I was told I was too old when I was 12 years old playing in little league sports. Where's that kid's birth certificate? He's a full-grown man out there. He started shaving like six weeks ago. I'm no figure skating champion, you know, I'm just a dude who lives in one of the greatest cities in Texas, serving in one of the most incredible churches in the area, married to the hottest woman in Kendall County. I said that. My wife is hot. Somebody busted. Listen, somebody busted my chops on that years ago. I can't believe a preacher would say his wife's hot. Okay, she's ugly. But I do know what God says about me as well. And I'm going to choose to live according to that. You see, when you begin to build your identity on what God says about you, When you gain his perspective, when you know what he thinks about, when he thinks about you, oh, we gain confidence. There's security in knowing who we are. There's a freedom that we've been looking for. And this is an identity, check this out, that no one can take away from us. Can't. And so my identity My only hope is a savior, a savior for me. Listen, I did the sinning, but Jesus did the dying. And and, and he proved how much he loves us by how much he spent on us. He spent his blood. He, He gave his very life. That's the created, died for kind of worth that no identity hit can take from you. So today, you might be an empty nester. You might be fired. You might be someone who's been dumped. You might have gone through a divorce. You might be someone who's bankrupt. You might be someone who's suffered abuse. Maybe you've been overlooked or even abandoned, but you know what you are in God's view? You're still priceless. You're still of great worth and value to the one who matters the most. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Have you drank from the well of everlasting water? Have you believed and accepted that Jesus is the son of God? That's what I love about the John 4 story, the woman at the well. You you know what she was, right? She was a whore. She, She was with a man now who wasn't her husband. This was like number five for her. You know what we would call, what her culture called her and what she would be. But listen, Jesus didn't see her as that. He saw her as someone who was priceless and of worth and value. Listen, stop listening to what other people say about you and see yourself the way that Jesus sees you. And oh, by the way, she ran back to the city that day and said, hey, listen, guys, you've got to come out and see this this Jewish rabbi that knew everything about me, but yet he loved me. Come and see the one that you've been searching for. I want to invite you to stand today. And maybe you're here today and you need to come and see. Maybe you need to come and drink from the well. Maybe you need to come and experience everlasting water. It's available today. Is that you, prayer ministry team, come forward. I'm gonna be down here if you're here today. Come and see this one who knows you. He knows every longing of your soul. Is that you today?
1: Come and see the one who knows every longing of my soul. Come and see what he can do. Come on, do you need a drink from the well today? He's here. Come and drink it from the well. His love and mercy or the veil, so living water is now yours. Come on, come and see who needs Jesus. Every longing of my soul. He says you're worth, you're valuable. Do you need a drink today? It's love and mercy toward the veil come on as we come and as we come in all of you you need Jesus come on you give everlasting life you make us new Come and see. Come and drink it from the well. It's love and mercy. So, ah! so living water is now yours. Come and
0: drink. Here's my prayer for you today. I pray that you not leave here thirsty. You not leave here today thirsty. That you would understand that you're not labeled as this, this. You are priceless. You are a beloved creation from God. And He desires relationship with you. If that's you today, I'm going to pray and dismiss us. And I want you to come and share that with one of our ministry team members down here. Or maybe you've got a deep need in your life that we can encourage you with. That's why we stand here today. I pray that every one of us in this room today would understand and know who we really are. Lord, that we would know what comes to your mind when you think of us. We are of worth and value. We are your most prized creation, Father. We are wonderfully complex. We're the very objects of your greatest love. Father, you're not mad at us, but you're madly in love with us. And you want us to taste and see that you're good. You want us to drink from a well that never runs dry. Oh, Lord, I pray for that person today that needs to be satisfied that they would come and drink from you. All for your glory. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you. Dismissed.